0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the summer edition and uh, I guess you can call this one uh, just about the Christmas edition too as I say very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine. How are you, Finey?
1: I'm well, I've been away, just returned. I know I haven't been away for long because I was here last week but for the last four days I went south which was great fun. And I'm looking forward to a really hot week because I looked at the weather forecast and I think we've got some heat coming in serious doses right up till I think, the weekend.
0: So you went south. Where did you go?
1: Hobart.
0: Okay, yes. Well, I um, went south as well. Not quite as far south. I went to Lawn. lawn
1: no. <laughs> lawn. Oh, lawn's great.
0: Oh, I love lawn. Uh, unfortunately, it sounds like you, uh, hot weather wasn't exactly on the menu. In fact, it was so bloody cold, I didn't even think about going in the water for one second.
1: Something, something interesting about Hobart, we were, Natalie works with a uh, chap who's from Hobart, just moved to Melbourne, and he said about the weather, he said, look, it will probably a bit rainy, a bit cloudy, he said, but when the sun comes out, It is surprisingly strong and spot on. Ah. Like, for some reason, 19 or 20 there really hits and hits hard. It it gets warm very quickly.
0: Well, I think, uh, as you alluded to, the forecast for later this Melbourne week is going to be an absolute scorcher. And I just get the feeling, uh, in the words of Bruce McAvaney, that people aren't... Sort of prepared for it because it's been a pretty non-existent summer thus far. So uh, slip, slop, and slap, and all that, all those s words you do when
1: it's bloody hot. I yeah. was just going to say the same thing. Slip into Andrew's hamburgers. Ah, of course. Yeah. Let them slap a beautiful slice of cheese on your burger. Yeah. And slop. <laughs> Have we done slop on? No,
0: know. no. I'll get to slop, but I mean, don't don't forget. It's not slop. The others are. Don't forget, you can't just mention Andrew's Hamburgers and not mention the most sumptuous buns in the history of burger buns and the crisp lettuce. I've only got to think of Andrew's Hamburger and I could see the droplets of water dripping off the lettuce and tomato, juicy tomato. You know, tomatoes have gone off, I reckon, in recent years. They're a bit tasteless. Well, yeah. not the tomatoes you get on an True. Andrew's Hamburger.
1: Point well made. You know why their buns are always... As you say, delectable and the best in the business.
0: Well, toasted to perfection and yet still um, still generously giving.
1: I think it's about turnover. Because they are so, such a popular and well renowned after 80 years, of course, that's an actual burger outlet. Mm. They don't have buns sitting there getting a bit, you know, day oldish. Mm hmm. They're all very fresh.
0: Now, um, I mentioned Slip Slop Slap, and you were thinking of how to weave our next sponsor into it, and I immediately thought, remember, uh, I've forgotten what his name was, that big bird that did the cancer cancel. Slip, slop, slap, slip on a shirt, slap on sunscreen, no, slop on sunscreen and slap slap on a roof.
1: On your house with Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. Not that you should be roofless.
0: Oh, I thought that was all a go. The new design houses, they just leave, <laughs> leave the roof off.
1: Uh, if your builder hasn't put a roof on your house, you need a new builder. But what a fantastic time of the year to start thinking about maximising your property's value because it's not <laughs> going to be done now. The decisions have to be made now. But start next year with a Nick Bartell and Hardwick build and you'll be headed towards, I think, financial security. If you can afford it, now's the time to do it. Housing is still up and down, but maximising the value of your house has never been more worthwhile.
0: Great homes from Nick Spartels and Bill Co. I I can tell you're going to struggle with me a bit today, finding I'm a bit all over the shop, and thinking of houses without roofs just made me think of ridiculous fashion you know like fat those fashion shows where people come out wearing coat hangers and stuff yeah you know? well, I, I i saw one the other day sorry i was still laughing about it. i can't remember where i saw it now but it was a a shot of like the torso of a male model and he had a gray suit jacket and a a waistcoat and then shorts but he was wearing a codpiece <laughs> in the, in the same colour as that, the I suit. That I did not expect. It was like a charcoal grey, and the caption <laughs> said, "Totally without irony." The caption said, "Of course, in 2019, the codpiece was still an essential part of high men's fashion." <laughs> 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 oh. I should have retweeted it and then I could point, point, point people in the right direction. All right, enough crap from us. We've got plenty to talk about, so uh, let's waste no more time. On Footyology News Feed. Okay, well, when we lead up to Christmas, uh, it always gets a bit quiet on the news front, particularly the football news front, uh, Finny, which is perfectly understandable given you know we're about right in the halfway point between... The season we've just seen and the season we're about to see, but still a little bit of uh, footy news around, I guess. Um, The most important story of the last week, since we last did an episode, um, is the Dane Beam story. And uh, not a happy one, unfortunately. He's 29 now, Dane, but he announced last Friday um, he is again stepping away from footy. Uh, taking uh, To get his mental health right And this has been an, an ongoing struggle for Dane I think this is about the third time now That he's sort of come out and said I have to take a break And um, he's been back uh, with the Pies for one season Just the nine games last year And all sorts of stuff going on He, um, uh, he had issues He had surgery to his hip and shoulder didn't he And then in September, he had a adverse reaction to some pain medication, I think, and that got him back in hospital. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, not clearly not in a great place at the moment. And I guess people now are probably um, justifiably starting to question whether we actually will see him on an AFL field again.
1: Sadly, it's it's a great career, certainly interrupted, if not curtailed or or ended. And probably since he's gone to Brisbane, there seems to be, in the lead-up to his move to Brisbane, which related to his father's ill health, his time at Brisbane coming back to Collingwood, there's been some unease about Dane Beams. And, of course, we again have another glaring example of footballers' mental health being at the forefront. Remember, see, a lot of people say, Why is it a new phenomenon? And then the answer to that is that clubs in the past were not necessarily attuned to such problems and players themselves used to hide the nature of mental health problems, not only from their football club, but from everybody. That was more the Australian males. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, forget footballs across society.
1: But there is another factor, I think... The prevalence of mental health problems in footballers gets exacerbated by the level of commitment that a player has to make, not to the game physically in terms of training and playing, but also the preparation, the mental preparation, game review, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that can be very difficult and burdensome for some people that are uh, suffering from episodic or constant mental health issues the the cerebral level of commitment to football is great far greater than it used to be does that make sense
0: yeah no absolutely um it, yeah I mean the psychological pressures as much as the physical pressures and and, and
1: those psychological pressures and now and those psychological responses and, and condition of players is measured and that in itself can be stressful to some players.
0: Well, one th- I really liked Dane Booms. I've, I've had a little bit to do with him, but I, I've always found him, you know, really thoughtful and, um, you know, like people look at the tats and they go, yep. oh, you know, what a bogan. Well, he's far from a bogan. But I, I was just thinking when he last stepped away from the game, he's, he's crushingly honest about his own position. You know how... I mean, this, as you say, this does happen a bit now, and we tend to hear the same sort of words used and the same phrases. But every time uh, Dane has done this, I, something in the statement he's released has really struck me. And in July, um, when he stepped back, I remember he said, "I'm a broken man at the moment." And I mm. thought, "Wow, you know." And then last Friday, same again, and it was not sort of that dramatic, but he said my health and football have come to feel like competing priorities. And I thought, geez, I mean, that is the thing that sort of makes you worry about his, his future. Because, you know, if you can't sort of reconcile those two things, um, you know, you, you're probably better off out of it, which would be a tragic loss to the game. I mean, he's such a gifted player. He's still only 29. Um, you know, we, we could still get you know, four or five years of his absolute best footy. So, you know, I think, um, the entire football world and everyone listening to this podcast would want nothing but the best for him and hope that you know he, he gets to a, a better place than he is. I did know just by the by there was a photo. I'm not sure if it was how current it was, but there was a photo of him walking into Collingwood training carrying a book, and you could see on the cover of it it was um, the subtle art of not giving a yeah.
1: <laughs> which um, is I see that the, that's a bestseller. It is a right? bestseller. There's even a yeah. sequel.
0: Oh, really? Out already. Gee, I, could, I should probably have a read myself. Um, anyway, there's the Dane Beams story. So, just,
1: just on that, I look at Dane Beams and I know that a lot of people still, whilst we are as a community and as a sports-loving community, I think more sympathetic and more understanding of mental health problems, there still is this undercurrent of, yeah, but I'd love to play football. I mean, you know, how can't you want to play footy for a living? And it's, it really doesn't show any understanding, not that I want to criticise people who might have said that or feel that way, but it doesn't really show an empathy or even an understanding of the depth of difficulty suffered by somebody who has a, a, suffers from depression. It, oh,
0: and also just the sort of time commitment involved. I mean, you know, I was just thinking of your favourite food or drink or something. I mean, if you turn that on, you know, and, and sort of put your mouth under a tap for 23 hours out of 24, you'd probably get sick of that.
1: Sure, but but in terms of being depressed and not being able to saddle up for work, that's really what it is. It, it's about It's about the difficulty of doing... Day-to-day things.
0: So, and Sorry, I did uh, neglect to mention something before, which also struck me, and that is that, you know, if people figured, oh, well, his heart hasn't been in it. Well, um, he'd, he'd been doing a, a fairly gruelling training program. In fact, he did the Kokoda track. He did, uh, I read the other day, he did uh, almost 100 kilometres in eight days of Kokoda. Well, that's,
1: so that's an immense physical test.
0: And mental. Yeah. You know, so uh, this isn't a guy who's sort of been constantly in a um and this is a thing i mean you know like we've spoken about this before and i've spoken about it myself you know i've I've suffered depression and i've found one of the most difficult things is that it it doesn't just switch on and off like a tap you know and uh, there'll be moments when you think oh you know I'm, i'm in a great place or whatever and then you'll you know you'll slip back into the abyss and it can come and it can go and it's sort of like a in a way, I mean, I've sort of come to accept it as a, as a bit of a lifelong affliction. And, um, you know, I certainly hope that's not the case for everyone else. But it's just, it's not, uh, yes, it is an illness, but no, it's not chicken pox, you know, and you get over it and away you go. It, it it's it really can sort of come and go. I
1: mean, serious clinical depression does come and go. That is the very nature of
0: it. Yeah. Well, all, all the best to Dane. Anyway, let's, let's hope we do get to see him again on the AFL field because he's a bloody good footballer. Um, Another story uh, around the traps, or or two more. Don't want to make this the Essendon news segment finally, but they keep bobbing up. Uh, Firstly, on a positive note, uh, Dyson Heppel re-signing a a two-year deal and um, continuing on as Essendon captain.
1: Yeah, stamp of the man, I think, to not even put it into, not put himself forward in the marketplace but even allowed there to be a discussion given what happened with Joe Danaher over the trade period and how sensitive Essendon would be to not head down that track again and the fact that Joe Danaher comes out of contract at the end of the year a less than decent person might take advantage of that and say you know what we've got the club over a barrel here let's not commit straight away and up the ante, but he has put this to bed, which is exactly what the club needs from their captain, well-played Dyson.
0: Yes, and of course, uh, one of Nick Spartel and Hardwick Bilko's uh, proudest uh, customers. And uh, I saw an interesting little video on, I think it was on Instagram actually, Essendon assistant coach Mark Harvey just casually mentioning to uh, Dyson at at training. They were training at Windy Hill actually, it was appropriate. And Harv said, uh, you know, I've been here since 82, you know, under-19s. And he said, every captain I've been involved with has been a one-club player. And he rattled off the list. You know, the Simon Madden, Terry Danaher, Tim Watson, uh, Mark Thompson, um, where do we go from there, uh, Gary O'Donnell.
1: Um, very uh, few James clubs. James
0: heard Joe Watson. Few clubs could boast that. It, it is. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? So, uh, and the point wasn't lost on on Hip either. He, he sort of in his usual. I've forgotten the word he used, but it was. Uh, oh, that's choice. Or, yeah, says yeah. something like that. One of those words the kiddies use today. Um, the other essence story: funny and uh, being, the alarm bells being rung, and and. You know, to a degree, fair enough Essendon with only 23 fit players at the moment A whole host of players coming off um, Either pre-season injuries or surgeries And that listing includes the said Dyson Heppel uh, He looked alright on the track the other night Michael Hurley uh, with a shoulder David Zarakis with an ankle Horacio Fantasia with a hip injury Joe Dana has groin, of course, problematic for a long time now Matt Guelphie with a knee and Marty Gleason with an ankle. And uh, already the uh, media pundits, Friday, are speculating about uh, the impact this could have on Eston's 2020.
1: Yeah, Kane Corns has jumped all over it already. Unusual for Kane. True, but on this occasion, I think he's probably in fairly safe territory. We know last year that Melbourne, at around the same time, was pointing to a half fit list and.
0: Yeah, so just, uh, sorry, I'll just interrupt there and say I I didn't get a chance, but I'd like to go back and look at the news stories written around this time last year. Were people uh, precipitating
1: Melbourne's Melbourne's demise? Because I don't reckon they were. No, they weren't, but it started to ring true with a lot of recently retired footballers. They were very quick to embrace the Melbourne problem being, the core of their problem being, uh, a lack of numbers completing a full pre-season. I think Melbourne's problems run deeper. I think their list is mismanaged um, and doesn't necessarily cover all positions on the field very well. But you do, as, as a supporter, uh, you'd like to think that all your players are fit and up and running coming into the season. That's not to say that and after Christmas, when they return from the break, may have most of their players up and running. This may have been planned for, budgeted, bar for a couple of players, I think, that have gone down recently, Zaharakis and one other. I think most of the others were expected and their surgeries were planned to, I think, Coleman, I think, make sure that they were on the track at the start of 2020.
0: Yes, it's it's not a blanket assessment you can make without looking at every case, as you just rightly point out and see, you know, how serious the interruption was, how long it was, you know, what part of the body even, in terms of that affecting their aerobic fitness and whatever. And I just, yeah, when I saw that story, you know, I'm not not sort of hanging on Kane here, but... I just hope there isn't too much sort of putting two and two together and getting five. You know, if you're going to sort of talk about a side being affected by those pre-season injuries, you can't just sort of look at a list and go, okay, 16 players equals they're going to finish eighth instead of fifth, you know?
1: The one thing I would say is Essendon sort of fell, stumbled into the eighth last year, It this season, uh, 2019. Do you think that might count against them? Because the one thing is that had they been out of the reckoning for the finals, say, with a month to go, some of these players would have been put under the knife earlier.
0: Yeah, that's a reasonable point. That is a reasonable point. But um, like you say, I mean, Melbourne is now the standard bearer for this sort of thing. But uh, I'm sure there's been plenty of other clubs over the years that have had longish... Uh, injury list over the pro season and ended up coming out of it well and and well, when,
1: Richmond have got a long injury list at the moment they
0: haven't we talked about it the other week but w- whenever that happens the um it's it's the accepted wisdom becomes oh well you know so- and- so it freshened him up because he had a longer break you know so he was you know. yeah yeah it's it's the choose the narrative to suit the circumstances. Exactly right. Um, speaking of Melbourne, and we talked about them in the context of injuries, but uh, they've taken a hit off the field. Finally, well, they took on off the field too because uh, young Nitschke, unfortunately, has uh, done a second ACL. Um, he did one in February and did one again at training the other day. So, uh, uh, shocking luck for him and. We all feel for him, but off the field, the Demons have taken a massive hit. They recorded a $1.58 million loss for the year.
1: These are never as clear-cut as just the bottom-line figure. There are write-offs, there are certain things in these profit and loss final figures that are sometimes deceiving, other than it was, and we wait to see how it plays out because it's only just come to light but it has been accepted as a, if not calamitous, then very disappointing year for Melbourne now off the field as well as on the field. So there's there's no saving graces here, I don't believe. Do
0: you reckon, uh, I, I was thinking about that. I mean, their membership, uh, they got a, a record membership, but their last, I think, three home games, they barely got a, uh, above 30,000 for any of them. And to be frank, I could understand Melbourne supporters being pretty thin on patience you know they have one Mm -hmm. decent year and think well perhaps we can build on this and then it's just back to how you were within five seconds so they'd have some pretty angry supporters at the moment I think Um, other one I wanted to mention just quickly too is the uh, disciplining of the Silvani brothers
1: making some feel that there is a bit of a persecution of Silvani's going on at Carlton with the recent departure of their father
0: it was pretty minor wasn't it it was very, um, very
1: minor and the playing group took care of it it was a drinking at a f- music festival
0: yeah what whilst injured that was whilst, the key yeah. but they were like home by nine o'clock or whatever that's so. right
1: and not seriously injured just something that the playing group uh, was able to handle amongst themselves probably the Leadership group, and I think one both players were sent to train with the reserves. Yeah, one more than the other because yeah, I think Jack, Jack had contravened previously. Priors.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I One part of me says, "Yeah, geez, it's a bit harsh, isn't it?" The other part of me says, "Oh, are we saying it's a bit harsh because it's the Silvanis and we all like sauce and?" They're a famous Carlton family, blah, blah, blah. And Jack Silvani's just had his breakout season should he not be making every post a winner. Just playing devil's advocate here.
1: No, I I just don't think it's a hangable offence at all. Mm. I think clubs have gone a little bit too far in impinging on the rights of young men to enjoy themselves whilst they're not playing football. This is in the off-season. Anyhow, I don't know the full details. I'm interested to see the future of the boys at Carlton. You can't imagine Silvani playing elsewhere, really. But, and I know Jack had a very good season last uh, in 2019 and sets himself up well for the rest of his career. I wonder whether he'll stay at Carlton, especially with what's happened to his dad throughout his entire career. I reckon he won't.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, in some ways, uh, his dad not being there now makes it easier, I would have thought. Uh, Ben's an interesting one too. Ben is a bit... looks a fair bit taller than Jack and can potentially play key positions. So they'd be pretty keen for him to stay in the fold as well. Jeez, it would be a massive blow to the um, sort of fabric of the club were the Silvani name to leave and go elsewhere. Don't forget, I mean, Soss has in an administrative capacity, hasn't he?
1: And Alex played for Fremantle.
0: That's right. (laughs) First cousin, is he, Alex? Yeah, I think so. Um, Just quickly, before we wrap the segment up, uh, that's all the footy news around, but uh, just quickly, first test against New Zealand, another comprehensive victory to Australia. Jeez, we're playing some good cricket, and we look solid for the first time in a long time, finally. The bowling quartet, I've said this a lot lately, will prove to be one of the best attacks we've ever had. They are just so... Well, actually, now Josh Hazelwood's out injured, but they are just so consistent and intimidating, and the 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 pressure on the opposition batting lineup never relents. But we're getting a bit of stability with the batting now to the point where Steve Smith has been, by his lofty standards, has been a comparative failure this summer, and yet the the batting has still thrived and. In no small part, thanks to uh, Marnus Labashane or as I found a separated at birth the other night, Tom Scully. He could be Tom Scully's twin brother.
1: Do you know, Have you heard his nicknames?
0: Yeah, well, see, it's funny how this happened. I heard him calling him Scully out in the field, and it was a reference to Kerry O'Keefe. Yep. But I hadn't heard that story, and I thought, Scully. And then I looked at him, I thought, gee, some of those guys, off their footy, gee, he does look like Tom Scully. And
1: then I looked it up, and they're dead ringers for each other. Yeah, he's got some acronym, some three-letter nickname. That oh, I, has he? That I don't... It's got to do with Steve Smith, like weirder than... It's something about being a stranger unit than Steve Smith. Oh, okay. That's what the three-letter stands oh, for. Oh, well, he
0: does the same batting gestures yeah. and stuff. So he? it's
1: sort of stranger that... Something to do with being as weird as Smith.
0: Do you remember Dennis Lilly's three-letter acronym? FOT. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you couldn't, unlike... FRO on Twitter, finally, which most people can work at. FOT is, that's not an easy one to, for people to get, is it? No,
1: but then they, they sort of modified it to Flipping Old Tart. Oh, yeah,
0: well, okay, there you go.
1: But he's got another nickname, and I can't remember which player gave it to him, but I like it. What is it? Loose Busk Change. Meaning? The, whoever that player was looked at his name and reckoned it looked like Loose Busk Change. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a bit of an insult to people of um, South African descent, but um, yeah, certainly the first Laba Shane who's ever made an impression in Australian cricket, I think it's fair to say.
1: But not the first Laba Shane to make an impression in sport, or, or not the only one this year. Oh, who's the one? Because I watched the Rugby World Cup, Oh God! and incredibly... There was a Labuschagne playing for the Japanese.
0: Oh, for Japan, correct. Of
1: course, he was a good player. Yeah. Okay. Same spelling, Japanese.
0: Yeah. You know, the only game of the Rugby World Cup I watched was the final, and that was absolutely terrible. Dire. There was. <laughs> a,
1: there was a good game before then.
0: Yeah. What well, was it? Samoa versus Papua New Guinea? Or? No.
1: The, when New Zealand got beat, I mean that was. Oh, that's
0: right. Who beat him again?
1: South Africa, I think. Was it South? Africa? Oh, in the semi. Yeah. 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 Was, okay. Pretty full on. It was exciting.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, that'll do us for Newsfeed this week. Uh, I think it's uh, probably time we dispense some life advice, Viney. So let's do that now. Life hacks building a better world. All right. Well, who knows where this segment's going to go? Uh, we could be talking seriously, we could be a little flippant.
1: Observations. Uh, what do you got for us? This is my Tasmanian edition. Oh, okay. Yep. So number one is whether you're married, got kids, or single. Take a weekend away every now and then. It you've got to step off the conveyor belt and just of life. Yeah, and just enjoy it. Enjoy something. Enjoy somewhere with no pressures. Dis- attack, you know disconnect yourself from uh, what. Is causing you, if not grief, but it causes you your day to day travails,
0: like your phone, fine. Well, which would be why you didn't respond to my texts for four days. Correct. What's the usual reason you don't respond to my texts for four
1: days? Um, I've got I've got a whole list, but really, I we got bombarded. Now that we got bombarded by the kids before we even left Melbourne,
0: I say kids didn't go. No. Ah, just the two of us. That's what we should have done. And yep. we
1: we had an, a a decision that we'd turn the phone off. Only Andy, well, we'd not turn it off, but we Natalie had her phone on. But only the oldest child's calls were answered in case of something serious happening. Because the rest would just, you know, where's this? Where's that? Yeah. Can we have Uber? This enjoy, smell the roses. It really life's too short. And honestly whether it's and it doesn't have to be an interstate trip it doesn't have to be a trip to lawn it can be take a break in your own city but seriously it makes such a difference we feel great for it and it was great for me and Nat you know we had great fun together and realized that take away all the sort of um that noise that white noise that is life and we love each other's company <laughs>
0: Ah oh, very sweet, I think that 's what uh Abigail and myself should have done too, because we could have gone for four nights on our own. And we decided to make it two nights and took the two boys and um yeah no, look, they were fine, but uh we certainly didn 't see much beach action, so it tended to be an indoorsy sort of um, sort of uh weekend away now mine um was going to be a bit of a holiday edition too, but i i've i 've come up with a a new one, but uh, these two are both... In fact, all three were going to be based on the weekend away. And the one I've dispensed with was about loud talkers. So I might as well just quickly say that uh, if you happen to be around the lawn area and you're at the pub and you hear a young, quite pissed and incredibly loud American bloke uh, talking absolute gibberish, using expletives every word, every second word while there's kids around, tell him from me, he's a dickhead. Uh, couldn't believe this bloke, it was ridiculous Anyway, first one for me And uh, this involves the both the trip down there and the uh, trip back Because it's fairly straight, the old uh, road, Great Ocean Road And then you get, when you just before lawn you get to that real windy, hilly bit Which goes on for quite a while And uh, a lot of hairpin bends And you've got to negotiate them uh, with due care and we're coming so we're coming back yesterday finally. It's Monday, you know, eleven AM or whatever. There's bugger all traffic around, you know, so if you're in a hurry to get somewhere, you're not exactly going to be delayed too much. And we're not one, but I reckon three different cars at various stages during the windy bendy bit tailgating us. And, of course, what happens is they stay right on your ass and then you get to the straight bit of road and and they've got to shoot out in front of you as if to emphasise how pissed off they are. And, of course, it means they're going to arrive at their destination 48 seconds quicker than you do. Now, don't get me wrong. Look, I've been pissed off getting stuck behind slow people and I'm not a, you know, must drive at the speed limit 100% of the time person trust me I'm not but uh, I think as you get older you do sort of start to get a bit more cautious or less cavalier about it and I look at those people doing that now and I just think why what's that all about what is it about human nature that means on a uh, a country road you know if you're within 10 meters of another vehicle you get all twitchy and nervous and you've got to shake them off
1: you know when you said to me You might be discussing tailgating, which was only a couple of minutes ago. I thought, yeah, good discussion happens in traffic. I didn't realise you were talking about the Great Ocean Road. Anybody that tailgates on the Great Ocean Road is an arsehole and it it can be tantamount to attempted murder. I mean, if you're not used to driving the Great Ocean Road, it, it can be a very testing drive. And surely the people who drive it regularly understand that. So to tailgate somebody on that road, ask them to go quicker than they're comfortable to drive, is is a very dangerous practice. They should be ashamed of themselves.
0: Actually, do you find I find even in the city, like I'm I'm a reasonably confident driver, but I find if I'm driving on roads that I'm not familiar with and haven't driven before, I'm a lot more unsure and absolutely, yeah, hesitant. So um, I'm
1: I'm not a. I used to drive a lot in between Melbourne, Adelaide, up to Queensland. I don't do a lot of long-distance driving anymore, and country driving's very different to city driving.
0: Oh, it's dangerous. Too. I mean, when you read the... Numbers, yeah. ...road fatalities and whatever, like, you yeah. know... The, I don't know what is the break-up, but they always seem... The bulk always
1: seem to be in the country, don't they? Sure. All right, you're up. So, back to my Tassie experience, as this is Life Hacks Tasmanian Edition. I'd only ever really been to Hobart, On fly in, fly out for a couple of games of football and a couple of work opportunities. I had no idea how hilly Hobart is.
0: Oh, yeah. Did you go up Mount
1: Wellington? I felt like I was perched on Mount Wellington. My Mm. wife's very fit at the moment and decided we should walk everywhere. Well, boy, oh, boy, is there that is a mountain goat. Type place to live <laughs> in parts. Yeah, it's good when you get down the bottom, down to the bay, down mm. the water, and Salamanca. Dock. Yeah, that's mm. all. That's that's a relief until you realise you've got to go back up to where you were. Yeah. So that was a surprise. I also looked at cities in Tasmania, and I was shocked. All right, do you know the names of the three biggest cities on the west coast of Tasmania? Um,
0: Burnie. Does no, that count? That's, that's north, is it? Yeah. Okay, on the that's west. Um, no, I don't. There's zion Right.
1: Smithton. I have oh, yeah, heard of and Smithton. And Queenstown, yeah. where they famously oh, yeah. played the football on yeah, the... Yeah, on the gravel. Yeah. 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 Do you know what the population of those three... Te- and there's nothing else on the west coast, so you could add, I don't know, 10% for the rest of the sort of um dropouts that might live on the rest of the west coast do you know what the population of the west coast of tasmania is i don't 4400 really well, there's no one there yeah it's an amazingly barren part of the world
0: yeah
1: uh, tasmania
0: is a fantastic place my elder sister sharon lives down there and has now for uh 15 odd years or 10 years um but I, I went down there a bit before that, and the, all parts of it—you know, the um, Fraser National Park on yep. the east coast, Port Arthur, um, Hobart's beautiful. The food in Tasmania That's, is superb.
1: They really there's an emphasis on it's a go, it's a, it really is a gourmet's holiday. I think is what yep. they look at tourism there. It's either eco tourism or maybe for the more sedentary types, a gourmet holiday, but very much a feature is now their distilleries. They've got now a a 25, 27 year history of whiskey making that's renowned worldwide and gin production. Now we're not big drinkers, but it was fun to have a a taste here or there. And, I'll get to the other reason you go to Tasmania for part three.
0: Yeah, seafood and... Um, Scallop uh, pies. And and dairy stuff uh, I find terrific. Mm. And apples, great um, apple cider and stuff too.
1: Yes, we enjoyed the product of Huon Valley more than once.
0: All right, uh, my second life hack, lawn edition. Um, well, But it could be anywhere. And as you know, finally I was in Europe uh, a while back and uh, did a lot of this sort of stuff breakfast buffets is there another place in society where all civility just goes right out the window than the breakfast buffet like it's early in the morning comparatively early in the morning everyone's a bit bleary and perhaps a bit cranky they know they want to get in before the last you know they don't want to have to have the last hash brown or the last kransky sausage or whatever but Oh boy, um, and I th- I thought, I remember in Europe thinking you know some of those Russian tourists were pretty <laughs> willing with the elbows and whatever, it got quite physical, but uh got to say the uh, Mantra Hotel at Law and the breakfast buffet there was uh, not a lot different the last couple of days. People just muscling in in you and you're standing there over the Bain, between two Bain Marie's, people just lean across you with a spoonful of baked beans or something and it's... Have you noticed this? I do not
1: like breakfast buffets. Yeah. These are the features of breakfast buffets that I hate. One is the bacon that seems to sort of sit there and get cold and congeals and sticks to other bits of bacon. Yeah, and it
0: sort of absorbs all the oil, so it becomes sort of... Yeah, yeah. I I don't like that. I do
1: not like the non-irregular. In other words, they're all exactly the same shape, poached eggs, all that have the milky eye, you know... A good poached egg, the yolk's not milky. Doesn't have that milky coating, and
0: I'm allergic to eggs, so I couldn't. Let, that's all foreign language. And tonight.
1: then the war at the automatic toaster where you put oh, a piece yeah. of bread in and somebody claims it, you think, was that mine? <laughs> That's mine. Yeah. I need to initial my bread next time it goes in one end.
0: Yeah. What about, um, do you do the cold stuff first or the hot stuff first? I don't do it. Yeah. What, so if you're staying somewhere with a buffet, you I'm just not don't a bre- eat? I am not a, bre- oh, bre- not a breakfast I'm not a bre- person.
1: But we stayed at somewhere called the Islington in Hobart, Yeah. and breakfast is included, and it is just... It's <laughs> just unbelievably good. What was it? Well, there's a chef there and, and he makes his own sausages. So mm. they're beautiful um beautiful pork and fennel sausages. I had a cold no, a hot smoked salmon Hollandaise. Oh what salmon. Was, yeah, which was lovely. They smoked their own salmon yeah. at that at that it's a hotel B and B combo type thing. It's beautiful the Islington and he also makes his own pastries, including my one of my favourites, very small madeleines. Do you know what they are? No, a beautiful French pastry with sweet and chewy.
0: <laughs> it is a French uh, cartoon character, isn't it? Madeleine, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, was that mine or yours? That was yours. Uh, that was mine. Yeah, so breakfast buffets, uh, you just, you've just you got to really brace yourself before you enter the dining room for the breakfast buffet, no question about it. Having said that, uh, anyone from the Mantra's listening, uh, I did still enjoy my breakfast very much. And like you, I, I tend to, I'm a bit lazy with breakfast, so you know, unless it's all laid out for me, I tend not to go to much effort. So uh, I made hay while the sun didn't shine funny your last one.
1: Okay, we're sports nuts. We love sport. And I'm assuming that many of the people who listen to this podcast are big sports fans, first and foremost. Football right up the front of the queue. So being a, a lover of football and a lover of art, not the arts, but actual art, generally does not go hand in hand, not to say that they're mutually exclusive. But art, I think... Is appreciated by everybody in some form or another, either by osmosis or by intent. We like, we, we are drawn to things that appeal to us aesthetically. And that notion is challenged, it is promoted, it is developed, and ultimately, it is absolutely a source of immense national pride when you visit Mona. Ah. in Tasmania.
0: Yes, No, I love Mona. Yeah, well I'm like you, I'm, I'm not Um, you know, look I don't think I'm a complete bogan but the arts you know, the visual arts uh, has never been a strong point of me but uh, I've been to Mona I think now three times and every time I find something different well, and new and I love it.
1: I love that about the structure of Mona. For people that don't know what Mona is it's the Museum of Old and New Art. Interestingly, it is not a government-built institution. It's not even funded by patrons of the art. It is a private museum.
0: David Walsh. David Walsh, who made
1: his fortune gambling, playing poker. Yeah. But he's a man of, even in the world of gambling, he's a man of... um, He's a
0: bit of an eccentric, isn't he? Very
1: eccentric, but he's a man, man of principle and these are some of his principles. It
0: and if you don't like them, he has others. Sorry, I just had to. Yeah. Do that yeah. No, he, he's
1: fantastic. It costs thirty dollars to get in. You need to, if you're in Hobart proper, the best way to go there is by the ferry. Yeah, it's so great. They, get so, the ferry, and it's a beautiful ferry ride. Right? Yeah, uh, but it's free to Tasmanians the entry. So oh, when, I didn't, when he didn't know when it. when he built it, he said, "My fellow, you know, pe- my Tasmanians, my fellow
0: Taswegians."
1: But it's great that it, it makes a loss every year between six and ten million dollars. He yeah. bleeds money from it. Yeah. He's building a wonderful and, and in architecturally, if it comes to fruition, um, breathtaking hotel. But he wants a license for a casino in that hotel where Tasmanians will not be allowed to play. Oh, really? And there will be no poker machines. Because extraordinarily, every single poker machine in Tasmania and both, cons- both casinos are owned by one family the Farrell family. Is that right? And he wants to take this family on because he said there are 2,000 addicted poker machine players whose lives are ruined and their family's lives are ruined and this family doesn't care about them.
0: They they had the first one, didn't they? Uh, What is it again? Rest Point. Rest Point. Yeah. Yeah,
1: the The Farrell family owns all of it. Yeah. And they're making it very difficult for him to create this high roller casino which he needs to balance the books with his beautiful Mona. And Mona itself is so exciting.
0: It's fu- it's it's the poo machine still there.
1: Kawaka, yes. Yeah. It it's not a pleasant room.
0: That that is for people wondering that they, they have a machine that sort of um what's the word? Uh Demonstrates the process food takes through the digestive system. It's
1: fed twice a day, it farts, it stinks, and it poos once a day.
0: Yeah, and the kids love
1: it. Yeah, I can't say Nat and I loved it, but do you have you read the story behind it?
0: Uh, no, well I I would have but I
1: don't remember it. The artist I think is Belgian. Right. And he was kicked out of art school. Yeah. Halfway through. So he had this sort of concept of art as being stuffed, stuffy, overpriced, over-intellectualised. And this is his kawaka in its various forms. Says what? Art is crap. Yeah. Okay. That's his philosophy. Well,
0: there's a, it's uh, I should say, yeah, if your sensibilities are easily offended, be warned. Because um, it's some of it's pretty visually... Confronting Challenging, lots, yeah. lots of nudity and and uh genitalia and stuff and um Wait,
1: did you see the did you see the gentleman that's the, there's a man who sits there for six months a year motionless oh really covered in tattoos yeah that's his art the tattoos
0: oh, I don't know if he was there when I was last there
1: six months a year and he's been doing it for a few years now but like Pete it
0: is really there was one you know I don't know if I should talk about this really. Um maybe I could talk about it delicately. I mean there was one I remember, you know, sort of sitting or looking at this display and there was a video and um you had to sort of lie back on these bean bags and there were like naked women cavorting around and then um let's just say certain um uh bodily functions um peculiar to women were involved, and uh, it was it was, it was full on, <laughs> and I thought, yep, I'm um, never probably going to see that again, and probably uh, not unhappy, I won't. Um, but it's it, challenging. Yeah, it is, but in, in a good but, way. I mean, don't let that put you off. It, thought, it,
1: thought-provoking. Yeah. What, about, what about, don't,
0: don't you love the waterfall thing that, that makes, makes the words, words and yeah. it's sort of what you're thinking? You know, yeah. It's incredible, that.
1: So... It's a gift to all Australians and one that everybody should take advantage of.
0: Yeah, no, well, well done.
1: And the the, the overwhelming amount of people there were international tourists. Yeah, and that's where the sense of pride comes in because they are—it's breathtaking for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, well played. Love Tassie. Um, gee, if for tourism authorities are listening, maybe they'll give us. A- What's
1: I was discussing this with Natalie. What's Melbourne's source of pride? Is there anything in Melbourne that I think You are ours immensely is, proud of when international tourists
0: visit. I think ours is a more intangible thing. It's ah, the it, that's it, what we came up with. Yeah, but it's I I know you're scoffing, but I think it actually it's more true than it's ever been. There is a vibe about Melbourne and oh, it's we're, absolutely. A, we're a progressive city, the food's great, the coffee's great, there's great art.
1: There's a huge amount of tourists come here for some famous nightclubs and, you know, clubbing experiences. Places like Revolver are famous worldwide. Mm. And that sort of weekend 48-hour party party um, that goes on in Melbourne that most people don't know of is a tourist attraction. But it'd be great. When I say great, I think we should be rapt that we have that. But shouldn't we put some money into something spectacular as well that's worthwhile. I mean, it's been a long time since we've built it. I believe that since the state has funded or, or private ears have built something that everybody must go and see.
0: Mm. Well, for me, it's CMCG. It yeah. is for a lot of people, isn't yeah. it? But, yeah, no, I, <clears throat> I, know where, I know where you're coming from. All right, last one for me, and I, I did change this at the 11th hour because I was about to go, about to, go to bed last night and I saw a, um, a tweet from Sky News, which I know is going to irritate me and I don't watch, but for some reason I sort of left it in my Twitter feed. And it was the hardy annual, and I've got to say quite happily, I hadn't seen evidence of this story until now, but uh, the old tried-and-trusted war on Christmas finally, out it came. And who else would provide the usual narrative about how um, Christmas is getting... um, uh, phased out by our PC culture, than Chris Kenny, the wonderful Chris Kenny, who uh, in his one of his fifty-eight shows on Sky News uh, was quoted as saying that Christmas it gets it gets better. Christmas was being downplayed, ignored, adjusted and demeaned by the, quote, woke inner city areas of Sydney and Melbourne. Now, there's a few things to discuss here. One, the fact that all these right-wing reactionaries on Sky News have clearly recently learned of the phrase woke, so now they're determined to slip it into every sentence they use. <laughs> um, secondly, this is absolute bullshit. Uh, you've only got to go into the CBD, and people were... Got slow in tweeting pictures of all the Christmas decorations and lights around the inner city areas of Sydney and Melbourne. I think the thing that gets me the most with this one is how wankers like Chris Kenny like to portray themselves as the uh, you know the quiet Australians, the poor oppressed minority. Somehow they're not part of the elite. It's these sort of um, you know student hipster types hanging around the art galleries of uh, Brunswick Street who are the elite despite the fact that they have no media platform to broadcast their bullshit they have no money to buy the objects that uh, people like Chris Kenny bathe in and the fact that they've got away with somehow classing those people as elite while wankers like this swan around you know sort of trying to paint themselves as every man makes me frankly quite ill um, But that's pretty much in keeping with Chris Kenny, who also wrote a, um, a bit of gibberish about uh, climate change the other day, as you'd expect of an Australian columnist. This is the bloke who famously sued the guys on The Chaser for um depicting him in a certain act with a canine in an obvious parody or joke. Um there is footage of him on YouTube, by the way, wearing a Chaser T-shirt, being voluntarily tasered, which is a source of, of great amusement. So uh, get uh, get on, and I'll tweet it later today, actually. But, uh, yeah, look, of the cabal of um, Murdoch-flavoured or Sky News-flavoured uh, shock jocks out there in various guises, I think Chris Kenny is probably, by consensus, the least respected Uh, and most lightweight political commentator in the country, also the biggest coward on social media. So uh, you're an absolute joke, Chris. Uh, Get stuffed.
1: Hmm, interesting.
0: All right, we had enough of life hacks?
1: (laughs) Now I want more, but for this week, yes.
0: I think it's time we revisited a famous year in the uh, world of music, movies and television. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies, and TV. Okay, Finey, it was your turn to choose our year for vinyl and video. Of course, we revisit our favourite music, movies, and television of a chosen year. It was your choice. What did you come up with?
1: Okay, we'll start with music and. No, uh,
0: the year, I mean. Oh, 1980. Okay, well, any particular reason for 1980? No, not really. Richmond Premiership.
1: Just, yeah, it wasn't besotted by the year from a football point of view. It was the start of the dreaded 80s for St Kilda. Mm. And I guess, well, it wasn't really a seminal year in my life particularly. But when when I look back at it, I gave music a huge tick. I thought it was a an enormous year for music. It was a pretty good year for movies And a terrible year for TV.
0: Yes, yes, uh, I think I'm I'm with you on that. Okay, so uh, lead the way. Tell us about your music.
1: Okay, I can't give you an album.
0: Oh, here we go again.
1: Well, sorry. But it is one of the most listened to, enjoyed, analysed, um, covered, discussed, and in the end, I think, embraced songs of all time. And it is? Love Will Tear Us Apart uh, by Joy Division. Yes. Released in June 1980, a year after the... Uh, sorry, a month after the suicide of the lead singer of oh, Joy Division. Oh, was it after, was it? was released after. Ian Curtis. Ian Curtis, who took his own life in May of 1980. And he's only, what, 21? Yeah, very young. Mm. He was a poet more than a, a singer, He fronted a band of friends from a group of guys from around Manchester and he was a apparently quiet, intelligent, introspective type who sort of exploded with a microphone in front of him. And the band was non-mainstream, got embraced by fans of punk music first of all Mm. and had just... Captured the imagination of the public and announced being offered and accepted a U.S. tour. And the day that they were told about touring the U.S. was when Ian Curtis, in his small flat or, or sort of what they call I don't know, halves or one-ups or whatever they are in England, took his own life, having a tumultuous relationship with a girlfriend and
0: had a child.
1: Yeah, and it's just a. a Backdrop to a song, which is also th- this was a transformation of music from lyrics being you know, lardy dar or you know loving you know it's about love about just silly things mm. or about sounds to actually deep poetry and deep emotional thoughts put to pen. Put to music
0: i wonder um I, i'm look I, I love the song and I, I i'm quite a i'm not a huge joy division fan but i have i've got a best of which i do play and i think is is really good and if you want to um there's some great life stuff of them too there's a, a a clip of them um uh i think transmission uh, doing that on one of those pop shows, doing it live, not yep. lip syncing, and it's it's compelling. And and you're right about he he had such a manic way of moving. In fact, he was wasn't he ep- epileptic? Or so, there's, yeah, yeah. there's some sort of suggestion yeah, yeah, about that. Is. And I think that that sort of you know he he was depressive. He was he, and, was he was epileptic. Yeah, yeah, and well, people, you look at him the way he moves around on stage, and it sort of looks like an epileptic fit. Um, but yeah, um, fascinating guy. I, I, Anyway, what I'm getting at here is how big would that song have been had he not killed himself?
1: As big. It is one of the very few songs, the first time I listened to it, I loved it. I had no idea about the Joy Division story that Ian Curtis had passed, that they had become New Order. I heard it sometime around mid to late 1980 and from the opening... um, from the opening... Guitar riffs and drum play—it just grabs you. It's a very, it's a. It, they describe it as a catchy piece of pop music, but it's more than that. It it really is a.
0: That's very poignant.
1: Yeah, I mean the words are poignant and the feeling and the uh, the way it's delivered is poignant. But I think it's such a endearing song, an enduring and it's both mm. endearing and enduring. But an enduring song is because the actual music, the actual song itself. Has a great, great musical feel to it.
0: Good uh, B side of the single too. Yeah, that's, it uh, was
1: it was a single with a B side that was good too. Uh, these days, yeah, that's, yeah, and that's one of their best songs.
0: Yeah, there, well, if you're interested uh, enough to check him out, the best of I bought. I think it's called.
1: Oh, actually, the other
0: thing I was going to mention was they did bring out, a, out an album in 1980 called Closer, Yeah. but Love Will Tear Us Apart isn't on it.
1: Correct, which is why I had to go for Love Will Tear Us yeah, Apart. Yeah. Because um, to me, it was, as I said, very few songs. From the minute I heard it, mm. it, it was for, I could remember hearing it and loving it almost almost, um, part by part, and mm. from that point on, Loving that song,
0: yeah. I love the way it finishes too, just with that the drums. You know, it's yeah. sort of yeah, it fades out. Um, all right,
1: and an interesting fact: that song, in official merchandise, so you can multiply this by ten. That sing that song, "Love Will Tear Us Apart," has spawned more clothing merchandise, t-shirt merch- merchandise than any oh. other single. So in terms of Love Will Tear Us Apart, yeah. Joy Division, and images of to do with that single, yeah. for a single, outstrips the other. What um, uh,
0: about Choose Life t-shirts?
1: <laughs> well, that, that I think was fairly singular.
0: Was that wake me up before you go? Anyway.
1: Right. I'm saying, but it constantly redesigned this Love Will Tear Us Apart concept.
0: All right, we need to move on. Um, now, I'm, I'm quite proud of this selection because I think uh, – you will be surprised. I oh, know you won't be because I will I've because already Back told you.
1: because Back in Black
0: was out. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Back if it's in... not
1: Back in Black, I'll be hugely surprised.
0: Well, it isn't. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love Back in Black, and it's probably the only uh, Akadaka album with Brian Johnson that I really love, and it's yep. a monster album, of course. Um, some other good albums came out in 1980, David Bowie, Scary Monsters. Yes. I think that's my yeah. favourite Bowie. Um, the Police, senyata Mondata. Um, I like none of their work uh, I do, you you're like Brian Mannix, he hates them But uh, I quite like The Police um, Rush, I've talked about a bit They had one of their, probably their second biggest album, Permanent Waves uh, U2's Boy, their uh, first album came out
1: Their only good album
0: Oh no, that's not oh, that.
1: Sorry, Joshua Tree, maybe
0: Oh no, I think War um, what, what's War got on? Uh, New Year's Day, Two Hearts beat as One Okay,
1: so that, actually that It's Boy and War that I like Yeah They're the two
0: I uh, quite like um, Unforgettable Fire Which came after War 2 um, Which has got Unforgettable Fire um, Pride um, so,
1: so I really liked them when it was uh, New Year's Day and, Yeah,
0: that was around 83 um, Gloria Oh, that was earlier. That's Gloria. I think it's on the one after Boy. Anyway, yeah, I'm not so, talking about you okay. two. Um, the other great album, and this, I had this as a close runner-up because when this came out, and I still think it's a great album, and it was massive, it's probably still one of the biggest Australian albums of all time, Split Ends, True Colours.
1: Yeah, fame. I saw that that was on the list, but yeah. it was an American list way down. Yeah, Great album,
0: yeah. It is a great album, and and it's the moment Split Ends became commercially successful. Of course, I Got You massive single, and uh, I Hope I Never and Shark Attack, uh, What's the Matter with You? It could go, uh, Poor Boy. It could go on and on. Great album, yeah. But I've gone with what I discovered this album late. Well, not that a few years after nineteen eighty, and my sister, one of my sisters, Linda, is hugely into this band. And I can't remember how I heard it. In fact, I heard the single from it on radio. That's how I heard it. And then I decided to listen to the album, and I thought, this is so cool. And it's a great summer record. I can still remember those nights when it was, like, too hot to sleep, lying there with just a sheet over me with my little Walkman on uh, with this album going in the background. It has a real feeling of summer about it. And this band was seriously cool, a duo uh, one of them, sadly no longer with us. So the band is Steely Dan, yep. and uh, I'm sure people are familiar with quite a lot of their work, but I love the album by them, Gaucho. Uh, the big single off Gaucho was Hey 19, uh, quite massive song, but um, most tracks off this album were played on radio. Babylon Sisters, uh, get the title track Gaucho, uh, Time Out of Mind, my rival third world man um it is a a ripping album uh walter becker and donald fagan they were just so cool and um asia is probably an album of theirs that gets bigger critical raps but for me this is their most accessible and uh great album for um how could i put it seducing chicks <laughs> right <There> you go. <laughs> Not that I've been in this position often, but uh, I think you know if you're thinking about a romantic uh, dinner and and some mood music, get on Gaucho by Steely Dan. It is a fantastic album, and uh, uh, yeah, look, I'm a bit of a headbanger, and uh, I have a few diversions from that, and this is one of them. Absolutely love that album. All right, let's... And many people said
1: myself included, Mm. Steely Dan, not to be confused with Steely Span.
0: Or Steeler's Wheel.
1: Stuck in the middle with Rowan.
0: All right, let's move on to movies and uh, take us away. Totally un... Well, hang on, sorry. I'm just going to... You did tell me your movie, didn't you? Yes, I did. I just want to make sure I don't uh, give it away now. Just double check. Okay, yeah, got it. Uh, some of the big movies yep. that neither of us chose ordinary people
1: ordinary movie
0: yeah some of us I quite like it it was hours and hours, robert, hours and robert hours robert hours. redford's oh. first film as a director uh raging bull one of my very, fa- one of my favorite very movies very highly rated uh, that is
1: described as the as a acting tour de f- you know the yeah it became the sort of standard piece for losing a lot of weight during filming but it was done reverse Backwards. In other words, the scenes where Robert De Niro were, was...
0: Playing Jake LaMotta.
1: Yeah, w- was fat, were filmed first. So mm. he lost the weight and then filmed, it was filmed back to front. That basically. makes
0: sense. Uh, and shot in black and white, of course. Yeah. Uh, the Elephant Man uh, with uh, John Hurt. Uh, you have
1: been so kind to me.
0: I, I like The Elephant Mr. Man. Mr.
1: Dr. Thieves.
0: Uh, a great little movie. One of my favourite American uh, coming of age movies, My Bodyguard. Do you yeah, ever see yeah, that? Yeah. About a a that kid that was bullied. Yes, yeah. and he and he hires a, another kid at school to be his bodyguard. Great little movie, very much like Breaking Away, the one about the cycling nut. Yep, that's sort of low budget, low fi US movie. Um, and uh, I just thought sort I'd of throw this one in there, Private Benjamin.
1: Yeah, Uh, that that was a good fun movie for about three quarters and then it got crappy at the end.
0: Yeah, that's right. But uh, great opening to that, of course, where Goldie Horn on her wedding night, her husband has a heart attack and um, one of the old Jewish mamas says to her afterwards, uh, what were his final words to you, dear? And she says, I'm coming. (laughs) Um,
1: Uh, Who was the actress who played the the
0: hard-nosed Oh, yeah, I can picture her, but I can't, yeah, yeah, I can't remember her name she now. She
1: was great. What was Private Benjamin's first name? Because oh, <laughs> she was mocking her. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, no, I can't remember her yeah. first name. No, it's been a long time since I good saw movie, Good movie, All right, your choice is... Okay,
1: I'm unapologetic here because in previous weeks I have been a little bit up my own rear orifice. Ass.
0: No, oh, no, I wouldn't say. I that. I mean, they're just movies that I love. But would.
1: in the realm of the senses, yeah. Tampopo, they yeah. art house movies that may make one feel that I'm a little pretentious.
0: Yes, perhaps not resonating with the footiology audience. Fine.
1: I hope it does. I I do not yeah, I think underas- don't underestimate. I don't our underestimate our audience. Don't underestimate
0: them at all. Uh.
1: This week's choice absolutely was my favourite movie that year. Favourite movie for years afterwards. In terms of quotability made by the National Lampoon team who actually hated this movie. The National Lampoon story is interesting and sad. I won't do a spoiler alert on that. But of all the movies they made or were forced to make, this one, they hated. I loved Caddyshack.
0: Ah, yes, the... um inevitable response uh, on football player profile's favourite movie, either that or Shawshank Redemption. I
1: mean, Caddyshack, I I almost learned it off by heart, so you can't watch it with me because I know every line. I loved Rodney Dangerfield's character, Al Chervik. His entry into the movie is magnificent. He comes flying into the clubhouse, with, steps out of his garish Rolls Royce, with his golfing partner, Wang, walks in and goes, Wang, I think this place is restricted, so don't tell them you And on he goes, I'll have six of those, four of those, and give me a packet of those naked lady tees. What do you do when you get a hat like that? Get a bowl of soup with it? And that's the first time he meets the uh, president of the club, played brilliantly by, it was Doug Smales, played by uh, Knight, um, Ted Knight, a great comic talent, Lost passed away shortly after that movie, but just a great movie. Great fun. Quotable. Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, all comedic great stars. Great cast. Great and, cast. You know, a bit of silliness, stupid gophers in it, whatever, but yeah. a lot of a lot of memorable memorable quotes for a teenager.
0: That Bill Murray plays the Deranged Groundsman, yeah. right? Yeah. Can I okay, don't hit me here. Yeah. I had never seen Caddyshack until about I think three or four years ago and I thought this is ridiculous I've got to watch so yeah. I actually bought it on iTunes I think and I watched it and can I just say and I've been in this I'm sure everyone's been in this position I was severely underwhelmed well, I, well
1: you're too old to watch it you've got to watch it as a 15 year old <laughs> I don't
0: know what the AFL player's excuse was um, yeah, look, it had its moments. A bit like um, Anchorman, I'm a bit like that with Anchorman. I think it's you know it's okay, but it's not. But yeah, look, I appreciate. And, and I've shown it to my kids. very personal. And thing.
1: I've shown it to my kids now, and they think it's it's past It it hasn't aged particularly well. But for right. me, it just I actually made friends because of this movie because there was I, I like quoting it, and I met. Yeah. yeah. I, it's how I met a great lifelong friend of mine, Ernie Schwartz. Literally. We had a mutual friend called Jeff Albert and we were in a hotel in Adelaide and Jeff drags me up to the spa at about six at night, introduces me to Ernie and he says, this guy likes the same movies as us, he can quote Caddyshack. And that introduction has led me to a friendship that I have to this very day.
0: <laughs> How sweet. All right, uh, well, my choice is uh, similar of genre and similarly um, oft-quoted. Yep. I, I did tell you what it is. And, no, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, this is, in my humble opinion, the funniest film of all time. Now, no film has made me laugh uh, so much, uh, so frequently, so vigorously, and so long after it's come out, and having seen it so many times, I still piss myself every time I see this movie. And it, there is a gag literally every 20 seconds. And if you don't like one, just wait ten, se- wait 15, 20 seconds till you get the next one. Uh, you know where I'm going with this? Nope. Oh, come on, you can have a guess. Uh, it was renamed for this market, uh, known as uh, Something Else Overseas. Uh, I speak of the Zucker brothers and Jim Abraham's classic Flying High, okay, yeah, known the- in uh, the U.S. and worldwide as Airplane, featuring Robert Hayes, Julie Hegarty, and memorable, and not just cameos, performances from Leslie Nielsen, Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as Roger Murdoch, the co-pilot. Um, and where do you start with Flying High? I mean, when, when you sort of think about films that have produced quotable quotes. That's got to be right up there. I just did these off the top of my head. Hey Jimmy, you ever seen a grown man naked? Um, uh, Nervous? Uh, Very. Is this your first time? No, I've been nervous lots of times. Um, Dr. uh, Wesley Nielsen to uh, the stewardess on the plane. Uh, These people need to get to the hospital. What is it? It's a big place where sick people go. Um, surely you can't be serious. That's don't call me Shirley. Yeah, everyone knows that's that. a famous. And uh, of course, posts. the um Lloyd Lloyd Br- did I say yeah Leslie Nelson's a doctor. Lloyd Bridges, of course, in the uh, air traffic control room looks like I picked the wrong day to give up sniffing glue. Um, I just I, I just in the I, moment I, I
1: remember it. is blowing up the inflatable. Oh, the autopilot. That
0: was great. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And she yeah that's right. Uh, the um. Julie Hegarty leans over to uh, inflate the autopilot just as Leslie Nelson walks in the cockpit. <laughs> uh, and and it, it has aged well. I mean, there there isn't a, a you know, stewardess. I speak jive. Um The bit where they're trying to calm the hysterical woman down. There's a queue of people wielding various instruments to slap her around a bit. The nun, Um, (laughs) the singing singing nun, nun knocks the the IV off the sick girl's drip, Uh, etc., etc. Just a wonderful film. Um, Definitely my, you know, look. I like a lot of comic stuff, but um, for number of laughs and consistency of laughs, you can't beat Flying Eye. Absolutely love it. Alright, uh, TV. It's a crap year for TV, was, so let's do it quick.
1: So there was no TV, so I'm actually nominating something that I've never seen.
0: You couldn't find a single TV show?
1: No, not that I liked. Oh,
0: okay.
1: But I'm, I'm nominating a show I've never seen a minute of. Yeah, great. But I'm fascinated by it and I loved its, its, its um, birth and its, how it came about. It's the US version of number 96. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, oh, God. what happened was they decided to embrace the number 96 concept and it actually aired on CBS in primetime three nights in a row during um, Christmas sweeps. It's a huge week, the week before Christmas. It was cancelled by January the 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> it's like
0: arcade.
1: <laughs> so what they did was they, they took, the number ninety six concept, but being conservative Americans, couldn't have any of the nudity or the you know, sort of um, jaw dropping sensationalism of lesbians and all these things. None of that in it, and all that was left, all they were left with was just a an apartment in California full of racial stereotypes, making racial, racial stereotypical jokes. Now, for that not to succeed in nineteen eighty, it'd be horrific now. Can you imagine how terrible that was? Well it sounds like
0: the way you described it then it sounded like Love Thy Neighbour or something. Well
1: well, sort of like um mind your language. Oh god. But yeah. Like every character, because they couldn't go to the Joe Hashem being a homosexual character, yeah. every character was different by dint of nationality.
0: Okay. Was there who was the Abigail character?
1: There was a Bawdy woman, but because of conservative America Sex was never discussed, boobs were never shown. Am I
0: immature, by the way, for still being vaguely titillated by the fact that my partner's name is Abigail?
1: Yeah, (laughs) very (laughs) immature. Okay. Upshot is I never saw it. It went for six episodes, but it was described. It did get a place magnificently in a famous list from NME, which is some entertainment magazine, of the hundred worst T V shows ever made in America and it made it into the top twenty. <laughs> it
0: was like seventeen or something. Well there's been a few um, sort of uh, Americanizations of other concepts, some but not tremendous. Australian concepts. Well it's Kath pretty and rare. Kath and Kim.
1: Yeah yeah a couple yeah, that was yeah.
0: a was that a disaster I think it was, wasn't oh, I'm it? I'm sure it was. Um on the other hand, The Office, uh, absolute raging success.
1: True. Um, Faulty towers a disaster. There was a Oh, did they do that, did yeah, they? Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, my God. All right, uh, I'll be quick to, and this is a, I'm a bit like you. Now, I have seen this program, and it is very funny, but I didn't watch nearly enough of it, and I probably should rectify that. And the more I read about it, the more I thought, yeah, I should. And it's a particular sort of genre, but I, I I reckon a real pioneer, really. You think about things now like The Thick of It, uh, Veep, political satire... Um I think this show uh, really paved the way for all of that, and I'm speaking, of course, of Yes Minister.
1: Yeah, and I'm the same as you. I would have nominated it, but I would have been a liar because I haven't seen much of it. Yeah,
0: well, I've seen, no, I've, I've seen a few episodes, I think, and, of course, later, uh, Yes Prime Minister. So the three centres around three main characters, Jim Hacker, the um, Minister for Administrative Affairs in the uh, British government, uh, played by Paul Eddington, his uh, permanent secretary and uh, public service um, stalwart, Sir Humphrey Appleby, played by Sir Nigel Hawthorne, and uh, Jim Hacker's principal private secretary, Bernard Woolley, played by Derek Folt. three great actors uh, and the interplay between them. It's a it's a comedy of dialogue, isn't it? Yeah, you but know? it
1: is it is a constant theme, and that is that Jim Hacker is really just a a um frontispiece or a puppet for the machinations, Appleby. Yeah, machinations of the all powerful public service. I think it changes.
0: I, I think it starts out like that, but I think as the even yes minister and then definitely yes prime minister goes on, he starts getting his he starts getting his, his way, way a, a bit, lot more often. Yeah,
1: yeah. Again, I didn't watch a lot of it. Mm. Always very clever. Yeah. How, you know, he could work the numbers. Like you, I, I, you obviously saw more of it than I did. Mm. Clearly, for me, the best of anything in 1980. Yeah. But I, I needed to have seen it all to be fair and honest.
0: Yes. uh And that's, that's noble of you. And the uh, to give you an idea how barren a year in, in TV it was, the other two programs <laughs> I've written down here are Seal <laughs> of a Century. Which was only the Great Temptation rebagged and Kingswood Country. That's not, our, the, that's, blo- that's, not <laughs> the bloody Kingswood. <laughs> that's our your language, isn't it? Uh, yeah, full of fairly ra- racial stereotypes to the ethnic son-in-law. All right, there it is. Nineteen eighty, the year in music, movies, and uh, TV. Uh, what say we do some ranting, funny? on footyology? The rant off. Okay, we've both had uh, somewhat relaxing weekends. It could be some issue about uh, our level of angst for this segment, but uh, let's see how we go.
1: Rowan, let me tell you that my angst comes from my weekend, so Mm. you can go first. Okay. I'll be very disappointed if you're anything but Rowan. Three, two, FRO. I'm pissed
0: off with the silly season, Finey. You know that period from about early December to February when everyone's on holidays, there's no decent news around, so us media junkies are forced to consume an even higher ratio of drivel than we're usually served up by the mainstream media. I don't know why all the media outlets don't just shut down and give us all a break, or better still, let readers and viewers come up with their own news. It couldn't be any worse, and probably a lot less self-indulgent than some of the twaddle being churned out at the moment. You always know journalism has clocked off when the various websites, print editions and TV bulletins start rolling out their retrospectives on the year that was. But it seems to be getting earlier every year, just as well nothing happens in December, given we've been reading all that stuff since late November – just how many different areas can you do retrospectives on also? There's been the year in politics, the year in business, the year in sport, the year in arts, the year in ads, the year in TV. I'm sure the year in retrospectives is only days away. And News Corp would have have to be at short odds to end up with the number one ranking in that particular category. They're responsible for about 90% of them. And 80% of those all somehow managed to feature either Rebecca Judd or Nadia Bartell. Making it even worse, because it's 2019, we've had to endure retrospectives on the decade that was as well. Now, I did see a compilation of the marks of the decade on the AFL website the other day, and I have to admit, it was pretty good. But the decade in TV... Come on, how could you tell the difference between 2010 and 2019? Both had feature some stupid reality show fronted by an inanely grinning Scotty Cam pretending he was every down-to-earth tradie's best mate. Except for this year's version, of course, when his pockets would be bulging with the 350 large the government's just slipped him to stand around for 12 months saying, G'day, Cobber, down the barrel instead of actually creating at least a handful more jobs for apprentices. In terms of football journalism, we've been reduced to either retrospectives or former player and expert A makes controversial prediction about the prospects of player B or team C in 2020. Groundbreaking stuff. You'll never catch footiology resorting to such lazy tactics, Fanny, for two good reasons. One, we rate our opinions as carrying far more weight than any Kane Corns or Matthew Lloyd view. And two, we couldn't possibly rank our best moments of the year. All have been equally indispensable to the football landscape, each a certified 24-karat gold example of insight, humour, and of course the humility for which we've come to be known and loved, mostly by ourselves. It'd be like Meryl Streep having to decide between her two kids in Sophie's choice. Or recall no less significant Finey trying to separate Rage Against the Machine's self-titled debut and their follow-up Evil Empire. Simply an impossible task. There's no silly season for footyology, Finey. We just keep giving till it hurts. We strive for quality, we deliver it, and then we just pick ourselves up and do it all again. That's the sort of commitment Scotty Cam, Beck Judd, or Nadia Bartel could only dream about Finey. Because unlike them, we don't need a backdoor payment or a guaranteed 10,000 likes On an Instagram post We just need to know Our fans are tuning in And we love each And every one of them Except that guy Who wrote in once And said I didn't have A sense of humour He can get stuffed (laughs) Very good I liked it Alright Let's not mess around I'm going to count you Right in Three Two One Rant
1: I said earlier in the program Everybody should Take a while to Every now and then Have a weekend away Smell the roses And get off the conveyor belt I do, and I hope that my wife did did enjoy the weekend. But I tell you what, I'm in no hurry to get on an aeroplane again, and my next uh, weekend off will be done via the motor car. Why? Because airplane travel is difficult. It's cumbersome. From the Uber or taxi that you have to get from home and spend a fortune to get to Tullamarine, walking from the drop-off point to the Jetstar terminal, which is gate 47, I could have taken another Uber, that is for certain, to finally getting on a plane that luckily wasn't part of a strike, so there's people sleeping in the terminal and I'm falling over them and being sneered at by others. I'm about to get on the plane and the air hostess or the stewardess, I don't know what the correct nomenclature is, asked me when was the last time I manned the emergency exit door. Now I'm thinking to myself, I don't know when, And I normally leave the fridge door open about 50% of the time. So don't trust me with any doors. At this point, my wife's already said, yeah, we do it. Yes, yes, yes. I get handed a piece of paper when I get into the aeroplane and all of a sudden I'm the third most important person on the plane in charge of the door in case of an emergency. I think that puts me above the steward that tries to sell everybody Coke and peanuts. My flight is ruined by the woman behind me, a small woman of the Asian persuasion who thinks she's Max James who played for South Melbourne in the early, in late 70s and early 80s. She plants both knees in my back and is only an arm extension away from taking mark of the year. Why did I mention Chinese? Because twice I turned around and asked her politely to move her knees at which both times I got a reply in Mandarin, I assume. That probably went along the lines of, I don't understand you, if it's anything about my knees, go F yourself. Because she didn't move for the entire trip. An uncomfortable journey made all the more uncomfortable by trying to retrieve my overhead luggage, which had moved during the flight and fell on me when we arrived in Hobart. No, I'm not an airplane traveller. I'm not scared of it crashing. I think I'm now scared of it not crashing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, very good uh, yes you've summed up some of the uh, most annoying facets of air travel uh, I think the funniest part of that finally is uh, this was all about a what a 40 minute flight or one an, hour, an flight. hour
1: an hour five or something an hour five so try it's very traumatic being told you're manning the emergency <laughs> exit
0: yeah yeah no it's happened to me try um what, what's the longest flight I've done probably Thirteen, I think it's about standard uh, Melbourne to Singapore or something, isn't it?
1: I've done the I've done the long haul Melbourne to Rome. Yeah. I, I did. I did Melbourne.
0: Oh yeah, no, I mean Melbourne to London, but you stop. But like I, did me- I did. Melbourne Dubai to Dubai Athens.
1: Athens when I was young. Yeah, two stops where we, where we weren't allowed off the plane. Oh really? Well, one was in Tehran.
0: Oh Tehran, yeah.
1: During the dicey period. Yes, and the other was in Bombay, where there was some workers' strike or workers' party, oh, and it was a v- debilitating flight.
0: Well, our, um, our Canadian friend who was over recently, he did uh, Vancouver to Melbourne non-stop, which I think was 15 hours, and yeah. now, of course, you can do... Right, Melbourne, um, New York. Uh, Yes, which is... That'd be about 15 too, I reckon, wouldn't it? A lot it? longer, I think. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, yeah, it would, of course. Melbourne to LA would be about
1: 15. Yeah, I've done that a few times. Yeah. It all becomes about territory on those flights. Any, any empty seat, somebody...
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like uh, Boxing Day sales. All right, no, very good rant. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I think that's about it for today. Uh, where do we close oh, off? can
1: I add one thing to my rant I forgot about? Yeah, quick. Is there no greater tease in life? Forget smorgasbords. Forget food that you can't eat and a smorgasbord that you walk past. Forget tabletop dancing where you can't touch the girls. It's a travelator that's not working.
0: Oh, yes. Annoying.
1: And they're always not working. Or an escalator that's not
0: working. Yeah. You need them, too. I know a lot of people sort of scoff at them, but if you go to, like, Changi Airport or one of those big ones, you need them, mate. You, like, they account for about five kilometres, those yeah.
1: things. And bet to step. No, that's not working.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, annoying. Annoying again. Um, all right, we'll leave it there. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, now, what are we doing, re Christmas finally? We had a bit of a discussion about this before. We're on next week. Well, People need
1: yeah. us. I... People podcast on planes and while yeah.
0: they are waiting. Yeah, okay. Look, we, we um up in the air, but look, we'll we'll make a snap decision. We will come back for a pre Christmas and final uh footyology of two thousand and nineteen next
1: a non, week. A non Christmas Christmas edition. Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna do our favourite Christmas yeah, song. No nah, or... stuff
0: Christmas I did that in another podcast I'm involved in and that was more than enough. No, it'll just be your your usual Good old meat and potatoes footyology. You bet. With maybe a little bit of turkey and chestnut stuffing.
1: No meat and potatoes. Yes, in fact, there is meat and potatoes in the form of a beautiful hamburger and wonderful crisp chips. Go to 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And And the name
0: of that establishment is?
1: It's Andrew's Hamburgers, of course. And if you need a house to go with a chimney for Santa Claus to come down, and then it's got to be Nick Bartels and Hardwick Billco.
0: It absolutely has to be. There is no choice. Great sponsors of ours and have been for some time, and we appreciate their support every week. So please give them your custom all. Uh, we'll see you next week. And to take us out, we had uh, quite a long and interesting discussion about this song. It is a classic from a very interesting band and a very troubled young man, Ian Curtis, of course, out the front of Joy Division. We'll see you next week. To take us out... His joy division love will tear us apart